After emerging from bankruptcy two years ago, General Motors has been making good progress in sales and profitability and doing it on a global basis. GM's design and quality have made big strides, but when it comes to managing its brands and marketing its products, the company hasn't done as well. That's why GM brought in a new global marketing officer to get that straightened out. That's why I invited him to be my guest on today's show. Joel Lewanek has held a number of marketing jobs at a number of automakers, but now he has to manage each of the seven different car brands that GM uses all around the world. So stay where you are. We'll be back with GM's chief marketing officer right after this. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to Here in the Studio with our guest today, Joel Lewanek, the Vice President and Global Chief Marketing Officer for General Motors, and it's great having you here with us on AutoLine. Well, thanks for having us. We really appreciate it. That's great. And also joining us for the show is Peter DeLorenzo. You can catch all of his stuff that he writes about in this industry at autoextremist.com. Hey, John. And also joining us is Chrissy Thompson from the Detroit Free Press. Great having you here on the show as thanks well. Thanks for having me. Joel, you've been a GM for about a year now or so. There was a whole string of other people who had this job before you did. So you hit GM, and what do you learn? What, what has been your priority in getting everything straightened out from a marketing and advertising standpoint? Well, I think, you know, when they first brought me in, they, they kind of, uh, and this was back when Ed was still around. And Ed, you Ed know, Whitaker. Ed Whitaker, CEO yeah. Company, right. And very, very smart man, very good man. And, and he had some pretty clear objectives for what he wanted to see done in the first 30, 40 days, which is, Check out your staff. Make sure the organization is correct, how we're organized, what we're doing, what our overall strategy is in North America, and let's make some changes where we need to make those changes. So there was a lot of focus on that. And, and, and quite frankly, one of the first things we did is identify what the brand stood for at that time and define those swim lanes for each of the brands. Because one of the things that got us into trouble before is where we started mixing and matching. If you remember the famous Fortune magazine article cover from 1983, mm-hmm. This is what had kind of happened. Where all the cars looked all the same. All the cars looked the same. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was all the four cars, you know, the same chassis, but very little variance between them. And, and we said we have to avoid that at all costs. As a matter of fact, I put that, got that cover and got an original and put it on my wall, and I remind everybody that's what we can't go back to doing. So we clearly define these swim lanes. And that takes it all the way down to what Ed um, is doing, well, Burn is doing with design, what we're doing in engineering in terms of the ride and handling, the MVH for, you know, each of the cars, price points, what the kind of amenities we put in each, go through that and create a discipline so we have swim lanes for all of those. That took a long time. That was the better part of the summer trying to sort all that out and to define the core of the brand for each of them. I think we're getting there. We're not, it's not perfect. This is going to be a work in progress. It's going to take a little time. Um, but it's, it's coming along nicely, and it's a pretty good team. So the other thing you did, Joel, Uh-oh. besides blowing up your ad agency structure, yes, and you tapped uh, an old colleague of yours, Jeff Goodby, and his agency to run Chevrolet, mm-hmm. and you brought Pat Fallon back from the beach to <laughs> run. Wasn't the golf course right? It was the, yeah. actually the literally I, the beach. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> so how do you think uh, the those two specifically, Chevrolet and uh, Cadillac, has worked with the transition? Yeah, so, you know, I read you every week, so I know what you think, and I think you were kind of kind, actually. So I've been a lot harder on those guys, um, and they know that, so that if they're watching, they know what I think. And um, and it goes in phases, quite frankly. You've had hits and misses. Hits and misses, and 
the reason I'm, I'm tough on grading them is because you're looking for consistency. You don't want, okay, that was a great ad, now do it again. Well, you can't do it again. Then clearly you understood what got you to the first ad. So if you can't con continue to do it over and over again, you got an issue. Um, one of the things that was kind of disconcerting is they nailed the brand, and we have this really nice way of mood piece and a way of talking about the brand. They nailed that right away, and everybody got it. It was interesting how clear what Cadillac should be. I've, I have a number of folks that I, I listen to, and they all wrote me letters. You should do this with Cadillac, do that with Cadillac. Everybody was pretty darn close. And when, and when Pat came in, he nailed the, specifically what we were going to do with that brand. Came up with this idea of red-blooded luxury, which has resonated with the, that group of people and those consumers. But man, we had trouble getting the ads right. We just could not get the communication straight. And you know, I, I was pretty tough on them. And we went through the summer. We did some things that were really well. 7:59, the spot from Nurburgring, perfect. And the other ones were just okay. Kind of missed the point. So um, we made some changes on the agency side. Um, we had some tough conversations. Made some changes on people there, and we made some changes on our side. Um, it's never the agency's fault, totally. It's, it's a collaboration and a partnership between the two. You, never, you can never just say somebody had to approve it, somebody had to agree, somebody had to talk about the strategy on our side, and we have to make changes on both sides. And we were pretty tough on them, and, I, and he knows that, and he is committed. And uh, to his credit, when I pulled up and went to talk to him about it, he knew why I was there and while we were talking, and he already had the same assessment that I had, so it was pretty clear that we were on the same page, and he knew he had to, to make some changes. So, and those have been good, and we've done the same thing. You didn't talk about Leo, but we've done the same things yeah. with Buick and GMC. And when it comes to um, our friends at Goodby, you know, I, I think we spent the summer um, doing a couple things right and then spinning our wheels for a long time, and that was very frustrating. And so I give them, you know, a solid C overall, but if I look at the work that they've done from Thanksgiving to the Super Bowl, it gets closer to a B. And then if you look at exactly what they did in, in January with the cruise, they get an A. That stuff is really working well. I don't know if you're aware of how the cruise is doing, but the cruise has um, got a lot of momentum. A lot of momentum. And we sold 50,000 retail. Thank you very much, retail. Notice I said retail. Not, there's no fleet in that in the first quarter. And that was really very good for us because if you know our situation, one of the things we told Gibby we need to do is stop the reliance on full-size pickup trucks and, and having this drive the brand. There needed to be a balance and we needed to have a, a success in this category, which is the most competitive segments in our industry, you know, compacts, midsize. If, and we've not done well in that segment. We just, we've, we've tried and we've had good cars, but never great cars. Finally, we got a great car, and we had to do a good job of marketing and getting that word out because consumers are not used to putting that car in their consideration set when they're looking for that. Toyota, of course, Honda, of course, now Hyundai, um, Nissan to a certain extent, but now you know we're in there and we're in the fray, and it's the, the good thing is in December, we, we moved up the ladder. We were probably fifth or sixth, and in January and in February, we were um, third right behind Toyota and Honda. That's a good thing, and that's, I give them a lot of credit for that. Um, there were some things that happened in the Super Bowl that were good, and there were some things in the Super Bowl that weren't good. Some of them were my fault. I will take some, um, some of the criticism on that because I pushed really hard to make an eco message for the crews and try to get that message out, knowing that we're going to have some kind of gas crisis sometime in you know, the summer. We know it's coming. We have a product that makes sense. We need to get that message out. What did he say? 42 wild Italians. Huh? It's a cruise for plus-size individuals. It's a commercial. That's all. So I think we did a good job with the spot. 
you know, you saw this eco cruise spot. It was a nice spot, but it wasn't great. So hits and misses. So they, the, you know, that's what we need to do. And I think Jeff would agree with those assessments that we finally got the planner right, we got the the teams right, and now we're starting to hit our stride as we go forward. Can you walk us through the decision making process? If you see the spot before it it goes on air, and you think, oh, this is, I would give this a C. I mean, how, why do you decide to run it, or, or I mean, how do you try to build this consistency when you've only got so many spots and so much time? Um, this is one of, the, you know, this is a, maybe a, a personal thing. My, I we overproduce ads, okay. so um, there are spots that don't you'll never see because they just didn't score well, didn't do well. We do a fair amount of testing pre and post. Um, you use your gut, of course. You know, you use your, your instincts and your experience that you've had from doing this many, many times before. But um, some things didn't make it. Then we had some trouble. I'll, I'll tell you the backstories before. We had trouble with Paramount and uh, Hasbro with the, the spot that, was, that had the... Uh, you know the um, Mr. Potato tr- Head, transformer in it. <laughs> so it was a, it was a real problem because they no one had talked to each other, and here we are all the way to the to the end, and finally got that sorted out. Um, the Michael Bay was concerned about talking about what we were doing in Glee that night too early in the week. As a matter of fact, didn't want to talk about it, which was kind of a problem because we wanted to talk about it because it was so special and it was a really good spot. And so um, there's a lot of issues, a lot of things that go into the Super Bowl and how you pick and choose. Um, when you have more time, it's easier. There's always a crunch leading up to this, and everybody will tell you. So one of the things we did after that is two weeks later I had a meeting and said, we're starting Super Bowl now. <laughs> I'm not going to go through this where we have these issues and we're dealing with people and not understanding what their requirements are until the last minute. It caused too many problems. We had a problem with the NFL. So the NFL didn't want us to run the promo for Glee um, the way it was run because uh, they, didn't, they didn't allow for, or Fox to talk about what's happening after the game. And Fox and, and NFL had to work this stuff out, so finally we had to do a voiceover. I mean, there are things that happened the week before that I'd never seen in my career. Almost every single spot had an issue leading to the game. Never had that before. You, interesting. You said something that's very interesting. You said we overproduced spots. In the old GM, that would never ever yeah. happen. And a bad ad would run, yeah. whether it was bad or not. That's the old, you know, Anheuser-Busch pioneered that. Mm-hmm. They, would, they would produce spots, and then August Bush would, would just say, yes, no, yes, no. Yeah. And if they didn't run, they didn't run, but they were paid for. Right. So that's interesting that you said that, because that would never happen in the old the, general market. The creative process is very difficult. And, you know, you, what, what you see on a storyboard, what consumers look at, oh, that's a great idea. Once it's produced, something happens. And, you know, the, the magic of what was on the paper doesn't come through on the film or something doesn't work. Just because you produce it doesn't mean you have to run it. Hallelujah. Boy, that's a huge <laughs> change because, you know, when I was working on GM accounts and the, and the car accounts, you know, I always I termed it the wince factor. If you winced when you saw it after it was, yeah. and you didn't want it to run, it would still run because you're committed. So that's that's yeah. a refreshing change. I think one of the, the, the things that helped Goodby, and I think when they turned the corners, when they did that, there was an anthematic piece for Chevrolet. That helped. And then they were the ones behind that comeback spot that we ran Thanksgiving Day. And I think that really, they really got plugged into not only um, Chevrolet, but the company at that moment because I, I went to an event out there and, and we, we, we had a little speech and stuff and people were crying. I mean, they really saw this as you know, a duty and, and a calling to make this successful and to make this happen. And when they made that connection, that kind of emotional connection, you really see the work get better. It was, it was, it was a good moment.
Of course, one of your titles is Global CMO, and I gotta believe that you've gone through a big transition here. Being at GM for a year, the last half year or so, having to deal with global brands, I'm curious to know the transition you went through and your appreciation. For example, Chevrolet in the United States is marketed as part of America. Apple pie, the whole nine yards. How do you market that in the rest of the world? And so talk a little bit about sure. the transition you've gone through there. You know, it, it started when, so when Dan Ackerson um, took the reins and was going to be our, our, our uh, full-time CEO for a long time, he, I could see right, right away he understood that marketing was um, very important. The, putting the consumer at the middle of our conversation was very important. And I know this sounds kind of strange, but it wasn't always that way. We rewrote all the strategies and put um, the customer right in the middle, and everything emanates now from the customer. And we talk about um, a product, and, and I was in big meetings today, it's always about what's the customer want? What's this going to look like in the showroom? What does this mean for our dealers? What is our dealer profitability? From what I, This is normal conversation you have in, from where I come from, the way you talk about this, but evidently that hasn't happened in the past. So um, you know, how does these packages work? And then I think Dan was, was looking at this and saying, we need to take that and it needs to be on a global basis, can't just be in North America, and we need to really put more emphasis on the consumer as we go forward. And I think as you see this, um, what was interesting, and I think what you're gonna notice is a transformation that I went through. I, I got this job on December 17th, and prior to that, I'm telling you days before that, I was more concerned about the Camaro, the Corvette, you know, what are we gonna do about North America? I was in my silo and I was territorial to that, to that degree. I don't really care what happens in, in China or in Europe. I'm gonna protect what I think we need for North American customers. I mean, literally the day after, and I start, the more I got into this and started talking to the other regions, I care more now about the Mini that we're gonna put in India than I do about the Camaro that comes out next year. It's that important to the company and the bottom line of this company. And I spend, I will tell you, more time about drivetrains and Minis and things we're doing like that for Russia or for um, what we're doing in Western Europe to promote Chevrolet than I did I, it's amazing transformation that happened overnight. And I know that's why um, Mr. Ackerson did that, and that was kind of an interesting thing because now I'm running around as an advocate for global. And I, I tell you more about sales numbers around the world than I can about what's happening in Los Angeles. I know what I know how many cars we sell in Sao Paulo daily. I mean, who, who does that? I mean, <laughs> but that's the kind of transformation that's is taking place, and I think it's important for the company to go through that transformation. And I think that that's what we're trying to do. And you, you talked uh, earlier when you first got to GM of how you had to figure out what each brand stands for. But again, so yeah, and just using Chevrolet or Cadillac or any of them as an example, yeah. you know, how, how do you change the marketing of a brand that has been so North American and make it resonate around the world? So what, let's take Chevrolet because you know we have. Um, seven brands really but, but let's take Chevrolet and talk about that one it's interesting how I would say that I'm I'm pretty sure that um, the folks down in South America appreciate Chevrolet more than they do here in North America I, I'm just telling you they love um, Chevrolet and General Motors they put the two together um, quite a bit and in Sao Paulo you would you're just as likely to see a Chevrolet hat or a logo somewhere as as uh, you would see anything else even in, in, the, in the United States and it's funny, I, I was in a meeting, we're talking about uh, communication strategies for Western Europe. And they're presenting their strategies to me, what they want to do, and they're telling me all these ideas they have. And they want to do a Route 66 themed idea because they're saying their customers like everything American 
It's that maybe our politics, right? <laughs> so they, they don't buy into the politics and our policies, but they really like this Americana. There's a lot of shared values that we have inside of the Chevrolet brand, the people, the freedom, the open road. These things, these are, these are shared things that the Chinese care about. Um, they care about in Thailand. So these are the things, these common areas that we're going to find around Chevrolet that we're going to use as a, a, the pillars of our communication everywhere. It's actually pretty easy. Um, being an American brand isn't negative. If you look in... in um, if you look in China, I think six or seven of the top brands in China are all American brands, right? So that it's the politics. It's the issues around that that you have to avoid and talk about the, you know, the cool parts of being an American and the freedom. And so we're going to do that. We're going to do more of that. Um, with Cadillac, we're going to promote it as an American luxury brand, red-blooded uh, luxury. And I think that will resonate really well. Uh, Buick might be slightly different. Right? So here, what we do with Buick and how we're going to handle this luxury brand here might be slightly different in how we handle it in China, where it's very, very successful, but it, it's a much broader brand in China. It's, it's, it's at the high end, but it also goes pretty deep. So we might handle that one slightly different in China. So th these are the, the issues that we're going to wrestle with for the next year or two. It's fun. It's exciting. It's all, it's all good. You say red-blooded luxury. Yes. I'm sure you debated red-blooded American <laughs> luxury. Uh-huh. And you left it off. Why? So when we talk to um, the people who are buying our cars and the people who want to buy our cars, they get it. When you say red-blooded luxury, there's a double unturn. The, they don't need the American. They understand that. Okay. And it, it, what it, the, the nice thing about when we say that is it's not blue-blooded. You know, and that's a negative. Red-blooded has got some passion. It's very distinct. It's unique. And it's a differentiator from other luxury brands. And that really is what... Um, you know, if you look back what Bob Lutz did with the styling and, and those with the just very derivative styling, um, it's derivative of nothing, actually. If you look at what they did, that's what it is. So we're just being true to what we established with the styling in that car and where we're taking the performance in that car and let it be what it is. That's not going to be for everyone. And, but luxury brands shouldn't be for everyone. That's the whole idea, right? You find the one that fits your, your style the best. And I think that's one of the reasons why we liked it so much. And it... A, it may not be perfect for China, but it's not bad. And we're going to have to work on that. So the nuances of how you communicate that and, and the tone of it, we'll work on that. So all those phrases you've been using, red-blooded luxury versus blue-blooded luxury, yeah. it's a tongue tire, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, the derivative of nothing, those are all spoken in your ads. And some people have said, you know, Joel, show us what this means and stop talking at us. Where, where Derivative of nothing is, is I, I don't think that if I were looking at a Lexus, do you think a Lexus looks anything like a Cadillac? That's a derivative of nothing. I would, I would argue that a lot of the luxury category has kind of gone to the same place and kind of has a styling cues. They're all the same. We're desperately trying to take... Cadillac and drive it into something that is very differentiated styling-wise from there. And it, in some ways, polarizing. You know, like I said, a lot of people are going to gravitate to these really smooth lines and, and, and go after these middle lines. I, you know, I, I, can, I like Audis. I think Audis are beautiful. But there's a group of people that want to be really, they like the angular styling, the distinctive styling. And that's showing it. I mean, we're, we're all we're saying when we say it's driven nothing, it's a reflection of the product itself. And really, all good marketing should be just a reflection of the product. We cannot do any of this without great product. And we're fortunate to have that, you know, in the cruise and have that in the CTS. We, you know, every brand has really, I kind of, the lacrosse is one of the best kept secrets in our industry. It's a huge success story. We just, mm -hmm. almost 60,000 units we sold last year. For a brand, quite frankly, and you all probably said it, should have, you know, could have and should have been killed. And here it is, one of the most successful cars with extremely high ATP, uh, average transaction price. 
Um, so we're getting good price for good quality products. And then that one, it's more sculpted design. It's a, it's a much more softer, approachable brand. And that's the, those are two very distinct brands that our idea is to flank the luxury segment. The one will be farther to the right, and the other one's going to be farther to the left. Hopefully, everybody gets in the middle, and, and our two brands should not conflict with each other. They're pushed far apart enough, and that's the goal anyways, to push them as far apart as we can so they don't conflict with each other, but we bring people from the other brands in the middle. Make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. It's really interesting when I look at your background at how all the different companies you've been at. And for our viewers who don't know, God, Porsche. Go through my resume. Well, I'm not going to go through the whole resume, but I got a question coming at yeah. the end of it. You were at Porsche, Yamaha, Saatchi, which I guess is you were doing Lexus work. Team One. Team, Team One, one. Yeah. okay. You were at Hyundai, you were at Nissan, now General Motors. What's it like being at GM compared to all the rest of them? Because GM's way bigger. In fact, GM might be as big as all the rest of them put Combined, together. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the way I look at it, it's funny how every one of those experiences, I've, I've drawn upon experiences I've had everywhere. It's almost like the, I needed to have every one of those to have this job. It's, it's, um, it's interesting. It's like all of it was meant to happen to bring it to this point where I've relied on things and, and, and situations and learning that I had in each one of those to, to help make decisions here. Um, when you go through, a, when you work at a small company, you're forced to do a lot of things as an entrepreneur. You know, you're, you're forced to see things differently. I know you guys think Hyundai is really big, but it, it really isn't. It was a very small, tight group here in North America that made those decisions. And so you're forced to you know, do, do things a little different. I'm trying to get, use that experience to help GM, to, to move a little bit more quickly, to be a little bit more agile, to be more adaptable, to be a little bit entrepreneurial. Because what happens when an organization gets bigger, you, you kind of go into your silos and you do your job and you don't do somebody else's job. There, everybody was kind of crossing lanes. And I think that's the one thing that's kind of fun about that experience is it's helped me do that. And it's, it's served me well so far. Well, just keep your fingers crossed. General Motors <laughs> just got uh, inducted in a Hall of Fame for yes. the history of Chevrolet advertising, or is it more advertising than that? F fill us in. What is this Hall of Fame thing, and why did you get it? Well, it's actually it? very prestigious. I mean, there's only been a couple um, companies brought into this, Procter Gamble, and now, uh, you know, you have General Motors. And if you think about it, uh, we've been trying to add this number up. It's it's likely that General Motors has spent more on advertising than any other company or any other entity in the world in the, in the last of the world. In, in the last hundred years. So it kind of made sense. In doing so, a lot of the rules and regulations and the way we advertise and the things we've done uh, started through one of the General Motors brands. Uh, a lot of the promotional activities that are done today that seem so obvious mm -hmm. started with a General Motors brand. I mean, the Sloan started a lot of these things and, and they emanate back through a General, General Motors brand. And if you think some of the most iconic slogans and shows, uh, whether it be Donna Shore or some of the others, started with General Motors doing these things. So their pioneering of all this types of marketing really come from General Motors and made a lot of sense to, to put them in the Hall of Fame. So it, it was quite an honor. Um, that was last night. A lot of people were there, um, and it was kind of a big deal for us as a company to get that. Of course, now the pressure is on you to come up with the kind of ad that deserves Thanks to go into that. the Hall I of Fame. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Ackerson. Yeah. <laughs> well, one in particular that Chevy pioneered was sponsoring Bonanza. 
Yes. And holding the introduction of their new models to five minutes at the end, which was unheard of. Unheard of, right. And today that still lingers in a way. And it was spectacular back then. So we, we uh, just created what we call a, a media lab, which is kind of an interesting, it's, uh, it's a replica of, a, of a, someone's house or an apartment that you would find anywhere in the world. And in it, you have, we have a, a replica of the living room, the kitchen, the, the dining room, the den, and on all the different TVs and all the different computers and all the different phones and magazines and anything that, those are our portals into that person's world. And one of the things, you know, that's re reason we're doing that is the world has changed. There's back from Bonanza's days, uh, you know, there were, you know, four channels. And when, when I was born, there was 15 places you can advertise, right? Now there are 15,000, and tomorrow there's going to be 30,000. What we're trying to do is whatever is old again is, is new. And we've looked at that Bonanza thing quite a bit, saying how can we replicate that today? You know, and General Motors has got enough size, enough scale that we could do something like that. So we're, we're actively looking. Like we've, we just produced a couple television shows ourselves that we are actually syndicating. Then we split them up into pieces and put them online and, and doing these things. And we're just getting started. This is the, the new way. But we're, we're in the content development business now. And we know that to, to replicate that, we have to do that or give seed money to somebody to do that and, and partner with people to do these things. Because the world's changed. You know, it's nice when you have a tent post like the Super Bowl, you can get everybody. Someone said, that's the most risky thing you can ever do. And I go, no, that's actually the simplest thing we can do. That's obvious. That's the no-brainer, in my, in my opinion. There's 100 million people. I know where they are. I know who they are. We can get a message out. It's very effective. But the minute that um, game is over, they scatter to the wind. And you've got to find them now. You've got to go back out and find these, all these niches. And they're everywhere. And that's the tough part. So creating a show where we can grab those people and, and have them for a period of time to tell our story is a big deal. So we're working on it. Real good. Well, with that, we're going to have to wrap it up. But Joel Lamonic, thanks so much for coming on Autoline. Great having you here. Thank Peter you. DeLorenzo, Chrissy Thompson, great having you. And I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. I was fascinated to hear Joel Lewanek talk about how customers in Brazil may feel more passion for Chevrolet and GM than most Americans do. In North America, we have a tendency to view the company solely through what's happening here and not taking into account that outside of the U.S., General Motors is going gangbusters in all the emerging markets in the world. In fact, if Joel Lewanek's sales and marketing efforts work, GM could reemerge as the world's largest automaker by the end of this year. But that brings us to the end of this show. For all of us here at AutoLine, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.